I think we need to disrupt a lot of stories that girls are hearing. Girls aren't good in math. All the kind of things we have been led to believe. And boys need to disrupt it too. Welcome to Teach Me Something New. I'm your host, Britt Morin, and this is a production of iHeartRadio and Brit & Co. All my life, everyone's told me I should focus on being good at one thing. But the truth is, I'm curious about a lot of things. But how do you learn about everything? The answer? Make the world's best experts teach you in less than an hour. So come along with me as we all learn something new. We've got a great show for you today with thought leader and personal growth pioneer, Elizabeth Lesser. In 1977, Elizabeth co-founded the Omega Institute, a renowned conference and retreat center that offers education and creativity, social change movements, holistic wellness, and much more. Elizabeth is here to help us unpack the power imbalance between men and women, how it's been embedded in our culture for centuries, and finally, how we can reclaim some of that power today. We've got a lot of ground to cover, so let's get to it. Hi, Elizabeth. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. I'm such a fan of your work. Same, and your legacy precedes you. (laughs) And I love how you actually coined yourself, you know, a feminist in even one of our emails as we were getting ready for this conversation. And it made me wonder, have you always been that way? Was this something that was part of your life? early on in your day? Or is that a role and a title that has grown on you over time? I've always used the F word, as I call (laughs) it. (laughs) I've always been a proud feminist. It comes, I think, from a few things. I mean, one, I was born in an era, you know, I'm in my 60s. I'm a baby boomer. And so feminism, when I was coming up in college and high school, and even having sort of a socially aware mother, it was something to be proud of and didn't have as much of the cloak that sometimes younger people think feminism comes cloaked in like man hater or things like that. But also I am the second of four daughters and I had one of those fathers who ran our family almost like a drill sergeant and child after child was a girl and he just kind of didn't care. It was just like his way or the highway, and we were little soldiers in his squadron. And for some reason, I really haven't figured it out. I've been in therapy for years trying to figure it out. Like, (laughs) I was the one who stood up to him. I called bullshit in the family. Like, hey, there's my mother. There's us four girls. My grandmother and great aunt lived with us. I'm like, this is a female society, and this one dude's in charge. Like, don't we get to say what we want to do this weekend or who does what or when we wake up or how high the thermostat is turned up in the house, all the things that he controlled. My sisters were always very, very timid around him. But I was the one who was like, "Uh, excuse me, we are valid humans here. So that combined with getting to college and the women's movement really starting. And I have always been a feminist. Yeah. And I think it's fascinating to talk to you because I didn't get to enjoy the 60s and 70s, but that was when you were founding the Omega Institute and doing all of these incredible things. How would you say feminism and women's rights and all of these really important movements 
have progressed over the last 50 or 60 years? Fabulously, I would say. (laughs) Okay. So you're happy with the progress? Well, you know, progress, if measured in elite circles where men are suddenly becoming beautiful fathers all around us, where organizations are really taking note of the Me Too movement and changing, yes, I'm happy. But all over the world, down the street, the balance of power can be way back in the dark ages, women not being able to vote, drive, women who are executed because they're raped, women being beat up in their own homes and no one coming to protect them. So it's a mixed bag, but at the forefront of the wave, I feel excited and hopeful. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that. You know, it's been part of my life's mission as well, which was embedded in me since I was little and faced a mom who had depression and always from that moment on decided I would help push women forward as much as I possibly can in this lifetime. So I'm glad to know where we're coming from. (laughs) And you can trust in me that I will keep pushing and following so much of the work that you and many others have done. And I know one of those things is you actually wrote a book recently called Cassandra Speaks with the subtitle, When Women Are the Storytellers, The Human Story Changes. And I actually just read this on one of my rare days off who didn't have children or responsibilities. And I was really interested in the way that you told the story. You started with like Adam and Eve and you went into so many different characters and stories that we all learned about as children. So I'm wondering if you could give our listeners a little insight into those stories and more importantly, kind of the macro lens on what does all the storytelling do to us as we are learning it growing up as young women? This new book of mine, Cassandra Speaks, came out in September. So it's relatively new and fresh in my mind because with the Zoomosphere, this book tour has been like constant and ubiquitous. So I'm all charged up with those stories still that I wrote about in the book. All my previous books are not about women and women's issues. They're more about self-care, self-help, spirituality, psychology. But as you said, I've always been a feminist and I've been organizing conferences at Omega Institute for women for years. And one of the things that's always fascinated me are myths and old stories because humans learn through stories. You know, I learned this with my books. I go into a lot of research in my books and I talk about it. But the minute I tell my own story, people perk up. Oh, that's what she did. That's how she failed. That's how she rose. And so I thought, well, what are the stories that we learn really early? Because that's what gets under our skin. Mm -hmm. I went back into the earliest Western stories. Mostly they are Bible stories and Greek mythology, but also there's literature and movies and things like that. And so the first part of the book is about those stories. So let's take Eve. So here's the cliff notes of Adam and Eve. Everything was great in the Garden of Eden. Like there was one guy, Adam, and there were God, and there were lots of friendly animals, and he had all the food and everything he wanted. But God said he thought he needed to make a caretaker for Adam, someone to take care of Adam. I think he was getting tired of taking care of Adam. God was. So Mm -hmm. he made Eve 
and Eve was born second. But like in so many stories, not just in the West, but in the East too, the woman came second, but she was the first to sin. Mm. Eve was curious. And a snake, who in biblical days is the purveyor of wisdom, said, would you like to be wise? Eat this fruit. And Eve said, no, God said I'd die if I eat the fruit. And the snake said, this is my interpretation. (laughs) He meant you would die spiritually, you would die psychologically, and a new you, a wise you would be born. Because that's the hero's story. Mm -hmm. Like lots of Bible heroes go through that, including Jesus. They die to their ego. They die to the past. Right. And something new is born. Well, Eve's the only protagonist in the Bible who is punished for her Mm. curiosity to be wise. I think this is a story most humans know, whether they're religious or not, right? They somehow get told the story when they're young. It's funny. I was thinking about when I first heard this story, and I think it was like four years old at Sunday school, just very basic. There's like Noah's Ark, Adam and Eve. They're kind of like the key stories that you learn in Sunday school. And it didn't dawn on me that the male and female part of this was part of the, it was just like, oh, this is where sin comes from. And so it was very subconscious. And I think it's really great that you're calling this out because as I've worked now in the media industry for 10 years and I now have children of my own and I understand how marketing works and storytelling and media do work. There's so many stories out there that are really breaking our girls down, right? I was just on a different podcast episode with a clinical psychologist named Dr. Wendy Mogul, who was talking to me about child psychology. And the issue with girls is that there's imposter syndrome everywhere because they're getting fed, especially now with social media and phones and the internet, even more marketing and quote unquote storytelling than ever before. And it makes me very nervous about what these girls who are little girls, preteens, teenagers, who are they going to be when they grow up and they're in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and what their psychology will be. So maybe we can pause on that because I said a lot, but I think it's really similar to the Adam and Eve story because how do we become aware of these stories and marketing messages and narratives coming at us when we've been fed them our whole life? And, you know, we're fed them through advertising. We're fed them through the stories that get under our skin. As you say, you don't have to be religious to have under your skin that the guys came first and they're kind of good and the girls came second and they did something bad that it clings to us. So there's that. There's marketing. There's science stories, too. Like when I was writing the book, I discovered something that I had never known. You know how we say under stress, the human tendency is to either fight or flee, Mm -hmm. the fight or flight. I mean, that's what we all say. That's what we think we do. And that came from a Harvard psychologist who in the 1940s brought people into his laboratory and did simulated stressful situations. And then he measured their hormone and other blood chemical levels. And the hormones that were released under these set up stressful, traumatic situations were the fight, the aggressor, or the flee, the detacher, not just run away, but that sort of instinct under stress. 
to go into yourself. Well, flash forward to the early 2000s, a woman at UCLA, Dr. Shelley Taylor, and her colleagues made this discovery. Those lab experiments were only done on men because in the 40s and 50s and 60s and until recently, medical studies were only done on men. And so she repeated them on women. And she found that under these simulated stressful situations, some of the fight or flight hormone were released, but primarily something she coined tend and befriend. Under stress, women feel the instinct to tend to the most vulnerable, the children, Mm. the sick, Mm -hmm. the aging parents, or they befriend. You get home from a hard day at work and you're like, you call three friends and you're like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, instead of like detaching or running Mm -hmm. away. So this is a story that's gotten under our skin. So when women feel an instinct in a meeting, let's say, to tend to that person over there who's not speaking or to use the budget for something that helps more than just the bottom line, that's not a respected response. Mm. We either aggress or we detach. So I think we need to disrupt a lot of stories that girls are hearing. Girls aren't good in math. Mm-hmm. All the kind of things we have been led to believe. And boys need to disrupt it too. You know how we tell girls, you can be anything a boy can be. Well, we don't tell boys, you can be anything a girl can be. Mm. And that's a disruptive thought. So much so you're like, what? I'd tell my boy, you can be anything a girl could be. Why would I do that? Because. The tend and befriend instinct is actually what we need now. We need Mm. you to be more empathetic. We need you to ask for help. We need your vulnerability. So I like to look at every story we're giving girls, boys, men, and women and say, is that true? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. And I think that so many of the stories, as you've pointed out in the past 
that we've read growing up have been written by men (laughs) because largely women, you know, maybe back in the day weren't able to be published. Or what we want to write about isn't of interest to men. And therefore it's called women's literature. You're right. Because women haven't really been in the workforce beyond the last like 50 years. So we weren't in positions of power to approve those books being published or approve the magazine titles or whatever the literature to date has been. So this is relatively new for us to be the authors of our own stories and to also be the curators and editors of the narratives going out to men and women. A certain kind of woman hasn't been in the workforce, but women doing jobs that I believe now need to be called heroic and first responder have been in the workforce forever, taking care of children, cleaning homes, doing the stuff that really keeps the society running. And one thing that I hope COVID has shown us is that these are our first responders. These are our heroes. And I hope we start honoring and paying Mm -hmm. them what they deserve. (laughs) I so agree. Trust me. All the compounding work of the last year, but I can't even imagine like the teachers, you know, the nurses, I will not go into it now, but the fact that teachers across this country don't all make six figures is like beyond me. When I'm president one day, (laughs) that's definitely a policy I'm going to be changing. But I think it's true. I think we're seeing a lot of progress. There's still a lot of slow growth because this is still relatively new for us as a society and a culture. One of the things I was wondering though was, okay, we understand all these myths and stereotypes that are coming at us, you know, that women are often plagued with, but like, how do we disrupt them? How can we actually rise above them? Do you have specific examples for what women should be doing differently, both at home and at the workplace? Yeah, I have about 7,000 It's both the most personal things we can do, and then it's also policy and collective and work stuff we can do. But as Gloria Steinem always says, things aren't going to change out of the house until things change in the house, in the home, you know? Mm. So things start to me in the home. In the home. Saying to our boys, you can be anything a girl can be, and explaining to them what that means, the power Mm. of the feminine, let's call it. One thing that I've noticed a lot in my own marriage is that I talk a good game about wanting my husband to be softer, more empathetic, more communicative, less mansplaining and thinking like he has to know everything. But then at the same time, I'll often kind of get scared and even punitive when he acts weak. Do you ever see that? It's like, you want them to be different, but also please still be our knight in shining armor, both please. So I call that shadow work. It's a Jungian term. We're like, let's really keep looking at ourselves. How are we walking this talk inside ourselves? Are we still listening to those old stories about our bodies needing to be a certain way? Are we loving our bodies? Like... Mm-hmm. The stories about what the female form is for and what it should look like, all the way back to China where they've bound women's feet. And then I look and I see we're still wearing heels. I did it myself for years, walking around New York City on boots with really tall heels. 
I've had knee surgery because of it. Why do we do this? Why do we still treat our bodies in ways that we've been told the gaze at us wants to be instead of the inner gaze knows is good for our bodies? So these are some of the at home things. And the other thing, which is why I love your work so much is women supporting women. Are Mm -hmm. we supporting each other? Are we disrupting that idea that women don't get along with each other or cat fight? You know, that's not been my experience in life. My experience has been women are my friends and my colleagues are my source of healing and joy and fun and support. So I think we have to disrupt that story and show, let's say you're in a meeting and some woman isn't speaking and you see that her imposter syndrome is on 11, like you step in for her and you say, hey, Sarah, you haven't talked for a while. Outside of the meeting, you told me X. I think everybody needs to hear it. So we give platforms to women when they're down. I think that's really important. It's been really interesting, actually. My let's see, 15 years in the professional world. I've worked at places like Google, which is very male-dominated, you know, engineering, tech. I've worked at my own company, which was very female-dominated. And now I also have started a venture capital fund with three other male partners in a very heavily male-dominated industry. And I've had like a lot of juxtaposition in my work. And I think it's really interesting because... To your point, being a woman in a industry like Silicon Valley is interesting because there's just so few of us and it's grown over time. But I would often see someone like Marissa Meyer, who is like a boss of mine at Google, where Oscar de la Renta into the office, literally like a skirt, a bedazzled, like a jeweled cardigan sweater. Her hair was like blonde and fabulous. And then she would just throw it down in a meeting about like a new website or app that we were creating and all the critiques about it. And everyone in the room would just sort of like freeze up about it. And I remember feeling both very intimidated by her as a, you know, early 20 something, but I was also like, she's such a badass. I want to be her one day. And I noticed as well, like there was this thing of me almost wanting to not like her. Like there is some chip in us as women where it's like, well, why does she get to be the like fancy one with this awesome job? And you know, she got lucky. She joined Google Earth. And I've noticed this too. There have only been 23 women who have taken a company public, like their own company public, which I think is really insane. And I know many of these women and I see them like with the closing bell and all the things, whether it's like Bumble or Stitch Fix or Care.com. And I love them so much. And then there's also the like competitive jealousy, which is like, I want to take a company public. But then I see a man take a company public and I have that too, but not to the same level. And it's funny because I don't dislike these women. I actually support them. We know each other. We hang out and give each other business advice a lot, but it fuels me to actually push harder because now there's someone in the role. It's this weird balance of like, is that jealousy healthy jealousy? Mm -hmm. Or is that ingrained in me as a woman to want to like pick a cat fight with somebody? I don't know how to break this down. It's a deep question. And in a way, it's the question that I hope we're all asking because 
two things are happening at once with feminism to me. One is women are finally feeling it's okay to be ambitious, crashing through glass ceilings, all those metaphors of war and pushing, which are to me patriarchal metaphors. And by the time you get yourself into the room, like Nietzsche says, the philosopher Frederick Nietzsche says, be careful when fighting monsters that you don't become one. Mm. When you are playing in an arena where there are rules and ways of being and ways that are respected and ways that get you to the top, you got to play that way. And I think it's so awesome that women have proved we can play that way. The brain is pliable. We've been told one thing about being a girl. No, we're going to switch it up and we're going to show that we can play with the big boys. If that's all we do, I'm not that interested in it. Because to mm-hmm. me, we've left behind something inherent in women that does not need to be beaten out of us in order to get to the top. So I'm more interested in us figuring out, like often when I'm leading meditations, I'll say, just put your hand on your heart and breathe and sit. And this oddest thing can happen, not just for women, often men too, but mostly women. People will just start crying because Mm. it's this sense of like, Oh, what is in there that's not allowed to speak and certainly right. not allowed to speak in a meeting when we're talking about profit and loss and growth and COVID and like, don't let that come up. But that, that tender heart, that tend and befriend, that mm-hmm. instinct that has taken children and raised them and taking care of the aging parents and taking care of the emotional health of the world, that is what we need at the top. So mm. kudos to the women in the suits and the warrior's sword making kudos. But as more and more of us get in there, can we bring with us our tend and befriend? That's the question that I'm the most interested in. And the imposter syndrome for women often is because we don't bring that with us. So we're Mm. trying on someone else's idea of heroism and strength, and it just doesn't quite work. So I want women to find our source of strength in our tend and befriend, and then give it some muscle. Okay, and what is that muscle? Like, what should we be doing differently? So I know that in a lot of meetings, you know, again, I've managed many hundreds of women now through my career. They don't see them speaking directly how they feel in a meeting. They sort of dance around a topic and it would be really nice if you could get me that thing by five o'clock today. There's an inflection in the voice. So it's like, I was thinking we could launch a social media campaign. (laughs) And I'm like, why are you talking like this? (laughs) That kind of breaks my heart when I hear it. So one of the first things as a leader that I do with young women is I feel very tender toward them and that voice. My first thought Mm -hmm. is like, would you cut it out? That's my first thought. (laughs) Like, stop with a little girl, really? But I know why she's doing this. I know why. She has thousands of years on her shoulder of born 
second, but first to sin or whatever you want to say it is. She has the imposter syndromes from all of her ancestors on her. And then if she's a woman of color or a woman who came up through poverty, even more, even more. So I have a tremendous empathy for it. And I say to myself in a meeting that that young woman, I'm going to talk to her about this, her tone, her lack of connectivity to her inner strength. Mm. And it's not like I've gotten there a hundred percent. Like I was asked the other day to be the keynote speaker for the women who had just been chosen for the Barron's top 100 women in finance. Okay. And I thought to myself, they must have the wrong Elizabeth Lesser because (laughs) I have a financial literacy of like a kindergarten student. What? Me? And the woman assured me, no, one of our founders read your new book. She thinks it would be great, blah, blah, blah. I zoomed into the meeting with all of these women wearing what you just described. And I was just terrified. Mm. Here I am, you know, I got some creds, but they were gone. I was just this like, who am I? And I found my voice doing all that stuff. Then I got myself together some. So what did you do? How did you show up? What did you change in your head, but also physically, like how you presented your voice? I always start with my body. If my heart is beating really fast, I say to myself, that's good. That's a sign you're alive. That's and a you sign care. you're at the edge and you care. Yeah. So that's okay. Don't add anxiety about your heart to the whole thing. And then I kind of find my seat. I've been a meditator for probably 45 years now since I was, wow. you know, 19, 20 when I started. So that adds up. <laughs> <laughs> Every day, twice a day? No, used to be back in the day. But now, you know, it's kind of like practice until it becomes you. You know, I feel mm-hmm. like I can just feel my sit bones in the seat, feel my backbone elongate, feel my back strengthen, but my chest soften. So I can be both strong and soft. And that's just sort of a physical correction I do. I also sometimes take the posture that you see in those Buddha statues, where it's one hand out in the stop gesture, it's the power gesture, and one hand in the cup, like you're holding the suffering of the world in your hand, and you can be both. I read about this in your book, and I think it's fabulous. I was actually reading this on the beach like I mentioned, a rare day by myself. And I did this and I'd never heard of this as part of a meditation. There's the Buddhist stop and hold the cup, which I think is so brilliant, but also the stiffness and straightness of the spine with the softness of the heart and belly. And that, I keep saying this word juxtaposition, but it's like this balance of your power and the softness and feeling both of them in any moment and how different that makes you feel because I agree with you. I think it, the summary of kind of everything we're talking about is that women either are like pushing power, 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 and they're like kind of bitchy and like <laughs> they come off the wrong way or they're just like tending, nurturing, speaking like this and they're soft and weak, but the beauty is in the balance between them. Is that right? Yeah, it is. And then when it becomes so balanced, you begin to know that Oh, sometimes the aggression 
actually is the weakness. And sometimes the empathy is the strength. And this idea of soft and hard gets flipped so that you can see someone who's caring as the most powerful person in the room. If you had the courage in a meeting to say, hold up everybody, okay? I'm feeling a whole lot of tension in the room and unnecessary competition. Does anybody else feel this? Could we just stop for a minute and realize we're all in this together? We're a team. And if we can work together on it, we'll be stronger. That takes so much freaking courage. But that to me is the courage women can bring to the table to feel Mm. the discomfort of everyone. That's the cup, the feeling, the suffering, because it's suffering. That's all it is. It's suffering. It's ego and suffering. And to call it out, but not in a shaming way, but in a way that interrupts this drive that just ends up where we are now. I mean, we have in front of us everything we need to see about what happens when soft and hard are not combined. Just look at the world. It's a mess. Yeah. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. I almost wonder if we're overextending ourselves with the tending and the nurturing, but men are so pushing the power that they're not filling their cup. They die, literally. They have a heart attack because their heart is all clogged up. Right. Like, yeah, heart disease. Yeah, the impact of heart disease in men versus women, but also even like suicide, which is most prevalent in men ages 45 to 65. And if you think about it, okay, they're approaching their midlife crisis, meaning like maybe they're not where they expected they should be in work. Maybe their marriage is not where they wanted it to be. Maybe they're getting older and they're not as strong and powerful as they want. Like there are all these reasons why men in that age group have a crisis, right? And I think it's because they're also extending themselves for so many years without this nurturing 
softness about them being able to be vulnerable and express their feelings because it always has to be this mask, as you say, of power, which it's just really sad. So what should men do on that front? I know we've been talking about women, but like, should they go to therapy? (laughs) Like, where would you start with that? Well, everyone would benefit from therapy. It's been like such a wonderful blessing in my life over years at different times in my life. Well, I think it starts with boys and I think it starts with fathers and mothers. I have three sons. They're all fathers and they are the best fathers. They are just as nurturing as their wives who are just as ambitious as their husbands. So I have great hope for it starting in the home with fathers not having to ask their partners if this is a heterosexual relationship, like, is there food for dinner? Or does his diaper need to be changed? Like, Hmm. no, uh uh-uh. Women just spent the last hundred years learning how to do what you can do. Okay, Hmm. we're in the workforce. You can learn what we can do. (laughs) And not to do it like the way I just said it, which is half the time the way I want to say it, but (laughs) to say it in a way like, sweetie, you can figure that out. Like it's not rocket Mm. science to the point where they do. And a lot of that means that women have to give up the control. I know I have to watch that in myself. I ask for one thing, but it's not done the way I want it to be. I'm like, oh, I'll do it. Yeah, And men, there is one thing, this has been said by people more in the social justice world than I am, but like men have to stand up at work at home with their bros and interrupt when they see poor behavior. So it's more powerful in a meeting for a man to say to his boss, please don't speak to her like that, than it is for Mm. a woman. And it's up to men to do that. I know their heart hurts when they see it happening, but there's a lot for a man to lose if he throws another Mm. man under the bus for the sake of a woman. That's a powerful act. Hmm. And you know, I always have to ask this too, because my husband and I debate this quite a bit. Is it damaging to even code things as masculine and feminine and put all this blame? It's like, is it blame? I don't know. It's I'm not trying to be anti-man. It's more that like, we just have diverged as a species and we're coming back together and we're trying to sort this world out and how we can both show up on each side of this. But do you get these kinds of questions coming at you? Yeah, especially as a spiritual quote-unquote seeker, my thrust is always toward oneness, toward unity, toward we are one breathing entity. So why focus on male, female, black, white? Like, why go there? The why go there is I hold it lightly because we're out of balance, because women have been silenced, shamed, beaten, raped, kept out for thousands of years, and it's hurt all of us. So let's see what happens when women come in. And when you decide, let's bring women in, it's not just like, okay, come on in. There's a lot of work to be done. There's a fight, and Mm -hmm. we're in it right now. And then at the forefront is this fascinating gender fluid thing that's going on. 
which is like, I'm right. neither. That's I'm both. Really fascinating. It's fascinating. Yeah. It makes us uncomfortable. I like things that make me uncomfortable because it's <laughs> like, oh, what's that about? You're probably one of the rare ones of your generation <laughs> that feels <laughs> that way. I know that like a lot of the boomers are like, what is this stuff that all these Gen Z people are talking I about? I love it. I love it. But we're actually not quite there yet. You know, we can't say, oh, there's no such thing as men and women. Well, there is, or women would not be being paid less than men. So let's get real here. Let's head toward that. But in the meantime, there's some work to be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I think Gen Z is going to save our world, just to be honest. I mean, climate change, masculinity, femininity. I'm hopeful if social media doesn't damage their brains too much, then we have a chance. No, social media is both fantastic and it's got its darkness what doesn't people used to feel I, I this way about books agree and i think we're still in like imagine if books were only 15 years old that's where we're at with social media right so we are aware of the problems there's enough scientific research about this and the leaders of these companies even though they have the wrong revenue models are aware of the problems and as someone from Silicon Valley, I think that this industry understands that we need something better. And I have optimism that by the time my kids who are five and six are 15 and 16, they might not be in the same position. I don't believe in doomsday scenarios. I just think they're, they've been around forever. People were upset when the wheel was made, you know? <laughs> so totally. like, it's okay. We're evolving. We're evolving, constantly evolving. Yeah, I love that. Elizabeth, I know you've chatted with Oprah and <laughs> some of the most inspiring world leaders. Who inspires you and what is it about them that does inspire you? Oh, so many people inspire me. You know, I have indeed, as you're beginning to do yourself, having a podcast like through Omega, which is now 42 years old, over all these years, some fascinating teachers and writers and artists and musicians and social justice disruptors have come through our doors and I've interviewed them and been around them. And some of them have impressed me with their clever minds. And some of them have, you know, motivated me with their fearlessness. But I think the people who touch me the most are those women and men and none of the above who are checking as much as they can their ego at the door and showing up just as a person, just as Mm. an authentic, real person. And I really haven't met that many of them. (laughs) And that's okay. We're all works in progress. But the people who really touch me, there's a Buddhist teacher named Pema Chodron. She wrote a beautiful Mm -hmm. book called When Things Fall Apart. In Mm. person, she is as glorious as her books. Mm. She's just present, aware. I think she was on Oprah's podcast at one point. Yeah, I've listened to a lot of episodes in that one. I remember for sure. She's amazing. Tolle is another spiritual teacher who I got to spend a lot of time with because I collaborated with Oprah on creating a webinar with him. I don't know, seven years ago, and I spent tremendous amount of time with him. And like, I swear to God, that guy comes as close to someone who's living in the present moment as anyone I've met. 
I, wow. he may not actually be from this planet. I haven't oh. figured that out yet, but it's like he walks his talk and there's all, I'm not going to remember all the names and it's not only spiritual teachers. It can be the people who are doing the hard work, you know, like one of my current heroes is Ai Jen Pu. You should interview her. She is the person who has been spearheading the movement to get home health care workers and nannies and people like that a union so that they can be mm. protected. And she is about as real deal as you get. Deep, funny, self-aware, committed, big picture. Mm. Mm. There's another person, Sister Joan Chittister. She's a Catholic nun one of those nuns on the bus who's like trying to change the Catholic church from within. Cool. I mean, what a job she's had, but she's phenomenal. So they're not always the most famous people, but they're the people who are the Mm. soft and the strong together. Soft and strong. I love that. Well, Elizabeth, we like to leave our listeners with a little piece of homework every week because it is called Teach Me Something New. So what would you recommend that everyone listening right now try this week? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I would say teach yourself that meditation. I call that meditation the do no harm, but take no shit meditation. Okay. That's easy to remember. I made that up. Well, I heard it from my sister, but (laughs) I attached it to those hand movements. So what you do is you feel your back nice and straight, but you relax your stomach. And for one moment, because no one's looking, you let your belly out, soft Buddha belly. So your heart is soft, your belly's soft, your back is straight, your jaw is relaxed. Then you raise one hand in the stop gesture, the take no shit gesture, and the other in the do no harm. And you just feel that in your body. And even in a meeting or at home with your kids, when you're feeling like out of balance, crazy, you just make that little gesture. Sometimes you have to hide it under the table at work so people (laughs) don't think you're crazy. And you feel that in your body and all the way down to your soul. I love that. I really do think that's a really beautiful thing for everyone to try. And it truly has resonated with me and stuck with me ever since you taught it in your book. So I love that homework. And I hope everyone will go out there and be strong and soft, not just today, but in every day of your life. Elizabeth, thank you so much for being here today. Where can we find you and all of your books and the Omega Institute and everything else we want to know about you somewhere on the internet? Where do we go? You can just go to my website and then that can lead you to all the other things. And it's elizabethlesser.org. Elizabethlesser.org. Great. And I'm going to have to take a trip out to New York to come see you at Omega because it sounds fabulous. You are welcome. All right. Well, that's our show for today. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a virtual high five by rating and reviewing on Apple Podcast. And to everyone out there, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Teach Me Something New, a production of iHeartRadio and Brit Co. I'm your host, Britt Morin. Find more information about each episode at Brit.co slash listen. You can also find me on social media. I'm at Brit or follow us at Brit and Co. Teach Me Something New is executive produced by Allie Ives and Allie Perry with additional production and sound design by Mark Lemmerjazy and Aaron Peterson. 